Welcome to the weekly podcast of Soul Purpose Evangelical Church, located in the city of Middletown, New York. Today's message will be brought to you by our senior pastor, Reverend Albert Feliciano Sr. Each week we stream our live recorded services to encourage, build up, and edify our listening audience. Our aim is to share with you the uncompromised and infallible word of the living God. Our prayer is that today's message will draw you closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And now, here is Pastor Albert with today's word. Title is Rediscovering the Go in the Gospel. Rediscovering the Go in the Gospel. We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to read from verses 18 through 20. This is a very well-known passage of Scripture uh, identified as the Great Commission. Amen? I'll give you a moment to find that in your Bibles. Matthew 28, starting at verse number 18, and the word of the Lord says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." Amen. Praise God. You may take your seats this morning in the presence of the Lord. Glory to God. The word go. The word go is composed of two letters. And these are the first two letters in the word gospel. This is one of the well-known passages that we have identified called the Great Commission. We have been commissioned by Christ to go ye therefore and make disciples. To go and tell somebody about the love of Jesus Christ. It's not show and tell. It's go and tell. Hallelujah. However, most Christians regretfully do not go. If we're being honest... The reality is that not many Christians at all share the gospel. And let me ask you a question this morning. If I were to ask, what is the gospel? Half of the room would probably panic and not know how to answer that most simple question that we hear about on a weekly basis at church, weekly basis at midweek services, and we've even learned it in in a, a Sunday school as children. But if I were to say, I'll tell you what, give me the gospel, the good news, in two minutes or less. Ready? Go. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. That's too much pressure. It's true. If you're a member of this house, every member has been put through that test. Every single member of this church has had a stopwatch put on them, and we ask you to give me the gospel in two minutes or less. And some pass, and most don't pass. And that's the truth. Listen, every believer in the room has to have what I call a two-minute drill. 
A two-minute drill in football, for those of you that are sports fans, if the game is on the line, it's the fourth quarter, there's two minutes left, and you have to score a touchdown, and you've only got two minutes, the clock is your enemy, then that means you got to have a whole series of plays memorized so that when the crunch time comes, when the time that you don't have time to make plans, you just flow. You just get up there and you start going. There's no huddles. There's no meetings. There's no advice. You can't talk to the coach. It's got to be in you. And then you just deliver in two minutes or less to win the game. I say if that's the case in sports and in football, every Christian should have a two-minute drill. Moreover, every Christian should have a 30-second drill. If you have only somebody's attention for 30 seconds, what is your 30-second drill? Here, let me give you mine. Listen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever believes upon him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that you are precious to him? He died for you. He paid your debt so that you could go free and stand free in the presence of God on judgment day. And you could enter into glory. 30 seconds or less. Amen? You don't need to uh, uh, go crazy with this. But what happens is the enemy starts putting things in our head and we start thinking, oh my God, what will I say? How will I react? What, what if they ask me a question? What if I don't know how to answer? And then what we do is we clam up. Statistically, that used to be a, a heavy word for me, statistically. I used to twist it all up and linoleum. You know how long it took me to say those two words? Praise God. Statistically. I could say supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. I have no problem with that, but linoleum? I used to go... L -l 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 -l. All right, praise God. Statistically, only 2% of the body of Christ actually goes and ministers and shares the gospel. But that means 98% of the church, the body of Christ, is not out there sharing their faith. Many Christians have fallen into the trap of what, what I like to call corporate Christianity. That means we are so busy with our schedules, we are so busy with our agendas that we forget about soul winning. Think of this. Remember the, the guy that was beaten on the street and the two priests, the two Levites, the rabbis, they saw him and they just kind of stepped around him and kept walking. You know what the Bible says? They were headed to the temple. The priests were headed to the temple and there was a guy all battered up, beat up, robbed by robbers and thieves. They beat him up, left him almost naked on the street. He's covered in blood and the two priests... That means the leaders of the house, the teachers, the ones that stand here and teach about serving and loving your neighbor and, and being compassionate to others. The two priests were so busy going to ministry that they forgot ministry. They walked right by ministry. And it took 
a good Samaritan. Now listen, Samaritans were known as the dogs of society. They were the inbreds. They were not even purebreds. They mixed with the Gentiles. These were Jews that mixed with the Gentiles and the offspring, the hybrid, if you will, were the Samaritan people. They were looked upon as low-class citizens, but it was a Samaritan that had the compassion enough to go and attend to this man's wounds and bring money to the innkeeper and say, listen, here's the money. Take care of him. If you should spend anything more, I will pay you when I return. You see, many Christians, they come to church and they want to keep the church solvent. That means organized and clean and tidy instead of keeping sinners out of hell. I, I believe there's a verse in Proverbs. It says, where there is a clean barn, there's no money. But a dirty barn produces much increase. You understand? When the barn is nice and tidy and clean, you got a clean barn, but there ain't nothing coming in. No fruit, no harvest, no plowing, just a clean barn. Let me give you an illustration. A Christian, that means you and I, brothers and sisters, a Christian who isn't sharing the gospel on a regular basis or isn't telling someone about the love of Jesus is literally saying without words, go to hell. You're telling your mother, your father, your son, your daughter, your coworker, the janitor, the cook, the deli counter personnel. You're telling everybody you come in contact with, without words, go to hell. Here's another perspective. Imagine if there was a fireman that wouldn't warn you about a fire. What about a policeman? Uh, uh, what, what would I be if I was a policeman and I didn't warn you about criminals? What kind of pastor would I be if I didn't warn you about hell? I would rather love folks into heaven. Of course, that's true. But if I got to scare you to get into heaven, that's okay with me too. Praise God. The reality is I want you to end up in heaven. I want to be in glory. I want to be in eternal peace with God, not only here on earth, but as in heaven as well. Glory to God. What if a fireman saw your house burning down and he said, you know what? It'll eventually burn out. Just leave it be. It'll eventually burn out. What if a policeman saw juveniles vandalizing your property and they said, oh, boys will be boys. What if a doctor discovered that you had cancer and he tells you, listen, just take two aspirins and call me later. They would be derelict in their duties. But the reality is, we don't think about it when it comes to the gospel. You and I would be found equally derelict if we are not sharing the gospel with others. Think about this. The Titanic. We've all seen the movie, right? Oh, Jack. I feel like I'm flying. This is wonderful. We've seen it, right? Before the Titanic went down, listen to this, there was a warning that was sent. You know what the warning said? Beware of icebergs. But because everything seemed right and everything looked right and the engineers were saying this boat cannot be sunk, 
There were warnings all over the place, but the warnings were not passed on. They never gave the life-saving information. And as a result, almost 1,500 people died a tragic death. Moreover, another tragedy in that day was that the lifeboats that were designed to carry people away from a sinking ship were only half full. The people inside those boats, they saw everyone perishing, but they did not want to turn around to pick up all their fellow brethren, their fellow human beings that were dying in the icy waters because of fear that their own boat would flip over by all the panicking people trying to get out of the freezing water. Almost 1,500 people died that day, but they didn't have to die. They died because the folks in the lifeboat didn't want to take any risk. Listen, sharing the gospel is all about taking risk. You will risk rejection. You will risk being made fun of. You will be risking uh, being called a holy roller, a Jesus freak, a hallelujah. You will risk being avoided, being cut off. I'm deleting you. You're not my friend. I'm blocking you. Block. You will risk being asked questions that you don't know the answers to. Yes, you will be risking much. But when someone is dying, offer them the gift of life, a lifeline. The path to eternal bliss with God is worth the risk. Now, why is it that Christians do not go according to Matthew 28? What are some of the obstacles of actually going out? Number one, let's start out by thinking about the reality of our wrong priorities. Many of us, let's face it, we're narcissistic. We're egotistical. We're self-centered. It's all about me. We believe in the false trinity, me, myself, and I. We're always looking out for number one and being careful not to step in number two. We go out to socialize. We go out to parties. We attend many dinners with friends. We go out to sporting events. And we go to self-improvement seminars and teaching seminars and prophetic seminars and, and Bible teaching seminars and all kinds of seminars, seminars, seminars. But what we learn in the seminars, we don't do anything with and we don't share the gospel. You know, speaking of sports, there's a picture I've seen. There's a guy on a football field. If those know that football gets played, professional football gets played on Sundays. And there are people in the stands with snow covering all over them. They look like snowmen. But they're out there at the, at the game. They won't come to church, but they'll go and sit and become Frosty the Snowman watching a football game. Never understand that. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with doing these things unless you lose sight of the real reality of the situation that you're in. Many of us, we're just going about life and we really don't care much about anyone else because we 
are saved by the blood of Jesus. Glory to God. That's wonderful. But what about all those people that you love? What about all those people that you know are headed to hell? It's like having an antidote for some terminal disease, but you're too into yourself to pass out the antidote, and so you keep it all to yourself while others are dying all around you. You see, sometimes we think we're doing good, but Really, the good things often crowd out the most important things in life. And we're so distracted with so much that the world has to offer. Sadly, the great commission that the Bible talks about, the great commission that Jesus told us to do, the great go in the lives of every believer, the great go that should be in everybody's life, is really low on the list of priorities in the lives of many Christians. Think about this word, apathy. Many are just so bored, so lazy, so uninterested in winning souls. There's no real compassion. There's no concern for the loss. And again, they're just satisfied themselves with their fire insurance policy paid up from hell. How about those that have fear? Fear of the unknown. What will they think about me? How will they react? I don't feel qualified. You know, fear can be a debilitating emotion. It could be very debilitating that you want to evangelize. You think you, you should evangelize. You, you feel the impulse, the urge, the drive to evangelize and share. But you're so afraid that you won't open up your mouth for fear of rejection or all the, the things on the list. How can we overcome these obstacles, Pastor? How can we overcome these fears? When it comes to priorities, listen, number one, Jesus set the example for us. Look at what he said in Luke 19.10. He says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Praise God. He came to reconnect us, to restore us to the Father. He came to give us the good news. Let me tell you something about this. Not a lot of people will appreciate the good news. You know why? Because they don't understand the bad news. And let me tell you, this church, we're intentional about teaching people how to share their faith. The reality is that unless you start Look, looking at the word and, and learning scriptures, then you won't know how to share your faith. You won't even have word in you enough to share with anyone else. You know, we, we come to church, we sit through sermons, and we expect the pastor to go out and evangelize. We expect the leaders to go out and evangelize, and eventually the church will grow. If the leaders do their job, then the church will grow. We're paying them. This is their job. Let them do it. No, everybody's job. This is your ministry. This is what you were born to do. This is what God called you to do, especially in this county, in this state. If, if you were to go to, if I were to show you a fine and say, listen, you got a $10,000 fine, and if you don't pay this fine, you're going to jail, man. You'll say to man, get out of my face. You're crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know nobody, no $10,000. Then you say, okay, give me the phone. And you look at the phone and say, is this you? Is this your car? Is that your image there? Is this your plate number? 
You see, when you ran through and you hit that car on the way, you caused all kinds of damage. You hit this, you hit that, you scratched that car. There's about $10,000. You're a hit-and-run accident. And they're looking for you. You understand? You say, oh, my God, oh, my God. How do I get out of this? How do I? You know how? Come with me to court. I'll take care of the fine. Or a complete stranger walks into the courtroom and pays the fine. Now the judge can legally dismiss your case, even though you're guilty, but because somebody else stepped in and paid the fine, you can now be set free. And this is what Jesus did. Most people don't know the good news or don't appreciate the good news until they first know the bad news that they're in deep trouble. But once you understand the bad news, now you're saying, how can I get free? How can I be set free? Well, here's the beauty. Jesus died for you. He paid the debt so that you could stand before God completely whole. That's the good news. Let me, let me put it to you this way. Jesus showed us the value of a soul. A soul is worth more to God than the entire world. We know this scripture, Matthew 16, 26. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. Consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are after it. Proverbs eleven thirty, one of my favorites. It really is like the anthem of this house. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Are you a soul winner? This morning, Jesus calls us to be a fisher of men in Matthew 4, 19. Are you a fisher of man? Are you a fisherman? Are you a fisher of man? How about this? Have you caught any fish lately? Think about it. You know, the church is so wrong in so many ways, but this is an example. Think about this. If you go fishing, do you put your bait inside the boat and then push the boat on the water and hope that the fish jump inside the boat? But this is what the church does. The church does bait activities. They do coffee houses. They do concerts. They do movie nights. And they do all kinds of events hoping that the fish will come inside the boat. But Jesus said, don't put the bait in a boat. He says, go ye therefore into all the world. It's out there in the street. That's where the ministry is. And then you could bring them in. And they could enjoy a night of worship. They don't even know who God is, and you want them to come in and worship God at a coffee house? It's straight-up foolishness. Somebody say, spirit of dumb. Hallelujah. When it comes to apathy, that means laziness and indifference. Soul winning demands urgency. Saints of God, I need you to understand this. This is serious. Every year, approximately 250,000 people die. Every year. That means 250,000 people slip right into eternity. And at that time, it's too late to share the gospel with them. They can't change their future eternal dwelling from inside of a casket. It will be too late then. And I got to clear this up. It's very important. Please listen. And I say this with the utmost respect. But it's the truth. Because what I'm about to say is not 
It's not uh, uh, backed up uh, in the scripture. In other words, the scripture doesn't say what people think that it is. Let me tell you, when we die, we do not become angels. That's not true. It's not in the word of God. It's not true. We often refer to uh, uh, past uh, uh, loved ones that have gone on. We call them angels. It's not true. We do not get wings when we go to, 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 the, to the other side. There's no such evidence of that. There's no scriptural evidence that we get on wings and we start flying and we play harps. If that's heaven, I don't want to go there. And I'm a fat, I look like a fat little baby up there like that. Can you imagine that? Me in a little robe like that? Come on, man. Get it together. Praise God. A little fat pastor in the, in the clouds. Get it together. Praise God. It's an ugly image. Glory to God. No such thing as purgatory. That's a lie. There's no such place. There's no such place. Purgatory does not exist. It's not written in the entire Bible. This is a place that was created by religious zealots so that they could have money, so that they could tell you, listen, if you pay, we'll pray him out of purgatory and maybe we could get him into glory. It's a scheme. It's unscriptural. Let me take it further. You cannot pray for the dead. When they die, you cannot pray them into heaven. This is the whole point of the message that I'm telling you today. We miss the mark, saints of God. People are dying every single day. And then we say, well, we'll say some prayers for them. Oh, Lord, let them go to glory. Too late. You can't pray them into heaven, and you can't pray them out of hell. And I'll say this also. There's more. Praise God. But wait, there's more. We don't pray to the dead either. We don't pray to Mother Mary. She's gone. Her assignment is complete. She was a holy woman chosen by God to raise the Lord and to care for him throughout his life. But when she died, mission accomplished, assignment fulfilled. And there's some scriptures that I could show you. Matter of fact, I'm going to say it. There's a scripture in Luke where there's a woman that looked at Jesus and said, Blessed be the breast who nursed you. Blessed be the mother who bore you. And he said, no, no, no. Not only that, blessed is the one who obeys my word. If, if Mary had any influence that you could pray to her so that she'll talk to her son and help you out, that would have been the right moment right there in the word of God where Jesus would have said, yes, and obey her commands and make sure that you talk to her so she could tell me what's going on and I can help you. There would be some kind of justification. But Jesus said, not only that, blessed is he who hears my word and obeys my word. He didn't give no credit. You understand? And so these, again, are religious practices that droves millions, billions even, of people may end up in hell because their whole life they thought that Mother Mary was able to do something. 
I can't tell you how much foolishness is in the world today. And people are, are, are praying to saints, St. Christopher, St. Saint, whatever, uh, uh, Lazarus, uh, St. All the, I don't even know all the saints. You can't pray to dead people. When Jesus died and rose again, the veil in the temple, whoosh, he said, now you can go boldly before the throne of grace. You could go with confidence and speak directly to Jesus Christ. Not only that, when you don't know what to pray anymore, you can go, and the Holy Spirit will make intercession on your behalf and pray to the Father on your behalf. Stop praying to dead people. To be a soul winner is to recognize that every soul that is not in Christ is currently lost in sin and in trespass. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That means you earn the price, the payment, the, the recompense of your actions. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Everyone outside of Christ this is not my words. This is the Bible. This is God's word, which is the entirety of thy word is truth. Everyone outside of Christ will share their place in the lake of fire. Turn to your neighbor and say, hell is real. It's real, people of God. Listen to this. I'm reading this right from Scripture. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That should scare us to our boots. They may be headed to hell on our watch, and they don't even know it. But we have the antidote. We have the cure. Saints of God, it's our responsibility. How will they know unless a preacher tell them? How will, did you know that you're a preacher? Everybody thinks that's reserved for the pastor. You as a child of God, when you became a born-again Christian, you entered into the army of the Lord. You became a minister. We learned about this on Wednesday night. You are a priest. You're designed to carry the ark of God's presence. You're designed to carry the presence of God. It is your responsibility to go ye therefore. God calls us kings and priests. Hallelujah. It's our responsibility to warn them. If you see a house that's on fire, I tell you the truth, you're not going to go over there and go, ding dong. Ding dong. Meanwhile, the house is, would you do that? Of course not. You'd bang on the door. Hey, wake up. Get out. Ha! Woo! Get up. Get out of here. The house is on fire. Out, out, out. Oh, you don't want to listen? 
boom, kick the door down, take a rock, throw the window, break the window. You're going to do whatever it takes to wake up everybody in the house. And when they're outside in the driveway or when they're outside waiting for the firemen to turn off the fire, they can say, oh, you saved our life. Oh, thank you. You think they're going to be mad at you? We are so prim and proper. Ding dong. Listen, I seen a video from an atheist on, on YouTube. An atheist. And he says, you know, if you believe that God is real, and you believe that Jesus died for my sin, and you believe he's coming back, and you believe that I'm lost without the Lord, if that's what you really believe, and you believe that I'm going to end up in hell, he says, I don't mind. I'm not mad at you if you're talking to me because you're warning me from impending doom. Even though I don't believe, I'm not mad at you. This is from an atheist. A very well-known Penn and Gillette of the comedians from Vegas. He said, the reality is, how much must you have to hate somebody to not tell them about what you believe? Think about that. That's a whole message. That's the whole message. That's what I'm trying to tell you today. If you saw somebody at their earbuds and they're like, earbuds. And the truck is going, I don't, don't, don't get me. Or they're crumping. Ooh, 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 ooh. Crumping. Oh, angry. Violent dance. All right, I don't know how to do that. Stop laughing. Hallelujah. But eventually, the truck is going to make them mashed potatoes if they don't get out of the way. And if you're saying, hey, watch out, truck is coming. Hey, move out of the way. Truck, sooner or later, you're going to have to run over there and push them out of the way. And then the truck, how much must you hate someone not to tell them? You know what's sad is that nowadays, instead of pushing people out of the way, they do this. Let's see this guy get smashed by the truck. I'll get 100,000 hits. It'll go viral. I could get a YouTube poster for a million hits overnight, an overnight sensation. This is where we are, people. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing reports of ladies getting raped and guys up there doing this, holding a phone and not helping. Shame on, shame on them. Hell was never created for you and me. It was created for the devil and his angels. It's a place of torment for Satan, for the demons, for the falling angels. The reality is it was never meant for us. And, and I'll tell you even something else because people think that the devil is going to rule hell. Like there's a throne or something in hell. It's straight up foolishness. We see pictures of a devil on a throne with a pitchfork and he's sending demons out. That is not true. Hell is a place of torment for him. In Isaiah 14 it says, is this the guy? When he finally gets thrown in there, the people that are there that have been deceived by him, they're going to say, oh, this is the guy? 
that shook the nations. This is the guy that I'm here for the rest of eternity because of his lies. Oh, no, no, no. They're going to start beating him down. Can you imagine for all of eternity? The only reason why anyone will end up in hell is very simple. Because of their refusal to accept the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, the, the genuine gift of salvation. That's the only reason why we'd end up in hell. But the reality is many of us, when we get to heaven, there will be shame in heaven. That's a true statement. The Bible says that there will be no more tears, there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, but there will be some shame. You know why? Because when we stand before God, and for 25 years we sat in a church, we missed no services, but we didn't tell nobody about Jesus. And the Lord starts saying, you see this person? That person was in your circle. That was your job. And now they're going to be in hell forever because you didn't talk to them. That's going to be you. There's going to be shame. You're going to take off that crown and say, I don't deserve this. Here, Lord, that belongs to you. But he'll still say, well done, good and faithful servant. You know why? Because he's not looking at your well doneness. You know who he's looking at? The blood. The blood. You're covered in the blood. And that's why you'll be able to be in heaven. You might be the one with the little crown. Like this. You have the little crown. You got to take a little bobby pin. Hold it up in there. You might be the one saying, hello, welcome into heaven. Come on in. Oh, hello. God bless you. Welcome. This is, that's your job, your role, the doorkeeper. Some of us are like, yo, I'll be a doorkeeper in heaven. I'm, I'm cool with that, pastor. That's all right with me. So long as I get in, praise God. I'll do the two-handed, open both doors. Say, hey, come on in to the glory. Listen, Brother Jamie was in my notes earlier. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Listen, James 4.14. Whereas you do not know what tomorrow will bring. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Some of you know Francis Chan. He wrote several books. But he had an illustration that I loved. He came on a pulpit one day and he had a rope. It was like a 300-foot rope. And he just put this rope and he started wrapping it around the pulpit. It was just a huge white rope. And then he took a little piece of red masking tape, a red duct tape. And he took the tip of the rope and he put the tape around the tip. And meanwhile, you see 300 feet of rope. And he said, you see this red tape? This red tape represents your life on earth. And the rest of the rope represents all of eternity. And we're over here clawing and scratching and betraying each other and stabbing each other in the back for this little piece of life to make a name for ourselves here in this earth realm when all rest of eternity we're not even thinking about. 
I also remember a sermon I, I, I saw. There was a, a pastor that came in. It was a youth meeting. And he came in. And you know how he started his sermon? He took a can of air freshener, aerosol spray. If I did it, the people in this room would freak out because some of y'all have to deal with breathing issues and stuff. I get it. But if, if, I, if I didn't have to deal with that, I'd literally walk around and go, Psh, do a little spray, a little mist, Psh, a little mist, a little mist. Psh. And you'll smell the beauty of that air freshener for about, what, five minutes? But then it'll be completely gone. The Bible says your life, your entire life is like a little spray. It was here. It made me feel good. It smelled nice for a few moments. It brought joy to my heart. It made me laugh. How about this? It stunk. I'm so glad that's gone. But our life is but a vapor, but a mist. Here today and gone tomorrow. It's a temporal life. You know, uh, uh, Ray Comfort and uh, Kirk Cameron, The Way of the Master. I love that class. We teach it here. But they have so many different illustrations that I love. I'm going to move on. Praise God. Let me tell you something. Jesus is coming. The other truth, besides the fact that people are dying, is that Jesus is coming. He's coming. The rapture of the church at any moment. And it'll be too late. You will know the second death. The Bible says it will be impossible at that time for some that have tasted the goodness of God to then return at that time when the Spirit of God is not wooing your heart anymore, when the wickedness of your heart is let loose, when the whole world is in utter chaos and utter torment, when natural calamities are happening, when meteors the, the size of the Empire State Building are falling into earth and killing a third of the whole planet. When these types of things happen, you know what's going to happen to those that say, oh, I'll just wait until the rapture. And if it happens, I'll just let the Antichrist chop my head off so I can make it into heaven. Do you know how asinine that thought is? Do you know how straight up foolish it is? You won't serve God now when the Spirit of God is wooing your heart. You won't give your life for Jesus. You won't surrender now. But you're waiting for all hell to break loose on earth so that you would have the fortitude to give your heart to Jesus. Get it together. Praise God. Jesus is coming. I'm perplexed. I'm concerned that every church in this nation is not jam-packed to capacity with people standing because there's no room to sit because people are terrified of their fate, of their eternal uh, destiny. People should be on their face before God at every single meeting, repenting and surrendering and saying like the publican, Lord, forgive me. I'm wicked. I'm no good. When he's beating his chest, Lord. The public and the tax collector, he's like, oh, look at all this money I brought. Look at all the gifts that I have. 
We have to repent before God. You know why, why people are not packing the houses in droves? You know why we don't see that? Because too many people are comfortable in their seat. Obedience to God is going to demand commitment. The Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. Think about this. Think about grandma, if she's still with us. Think about grandpa. Think about mom and dad. Think about your sons and your daughters. Think about your neighbors. Think about coworkers. Think about all those people that you love, your friends. And they have no idea who Jesus is. It's sad if your friends don't even know that you're a believer. I want you to think of this, the word contempt. When a witness is summoned to court but refuses to testify, he is held in contempt by the judge. When you stand before Jesus someday, will he hold you in contempt because you refused to testify? Think about that. When it comes to fear, when the fear is unknown. Jesus promises to go with you. He says, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Jesus is going to give you courage. He's going to give you the words to speak. Matthew 10, 19 through 20. Don't not, or do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak, for it is not you who speaks but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Luke 21, 14 and 15. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to mediate beforehand on what you, or meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You know, sometimes we try to plan Plan, plan. Well, if they say this, I'll say that. And if we say, I got to memorize this scripture, so just in case, I'll know. And then we get out there, and your whole conversation goes the left way or the, a different direction. And now you're like, oh, 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 humma, humma, humma. Then you pick up the phone, Pastor, uh, uh, can you, I, I got a question. Can you talk to this friend here? The Bible says, have faith in God, trust in Him. Just go. And when you show up, be ready to be used as a vessel. Let me tell you, there's no joy. Like when you go out and evangelize and you see the tears coming down on somebody's face. When you are able to be the light of Christ's glory into the life of somebody where you have a, a divine word that you didn't even know you were going to say. But the word came into you and you say, hey, you know, I hear the Lord say this. And they go, oh, how did you know? It's not me, man. The Lord wants me to tell you this. All of a sudden, they break down. They melt down. They get on their knees, and now you're praying. It's amazing. But you know why people don't see it? Because they don't go out. They don't share. They're afraid. They say, don't worry. Pastor Richie will go out. He'll do it. Did you know that new converts are the very best soul winners? Because they're not all in, indoctrinated with all kinds of stuff. They don't know much. But they know one thing. I was a devil last week. I was a outright a, a dirty, dirty, dirty bag of stuff. Look at Mark 5. The demon-possessed man. He had 2,000 demons. 
And Jesus knew he had to go through that area. And when Jesus saw him, he says, what is your name? The Bible says when this guy saw Jesus, he bowed down and started worshiping God. Even demons have to worship the Father. He bowed down and worshiped God. And he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And after casting out the demons into the swine and the swine falling off the cliff or jumping to their death, the man, now that he's set free, he begged Jesus, please make me one of your followers. Let me go with you. And what did Jesus say to him? He says, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion upon you. Let me tell you something. When the people who know the old you and they see the new you and they can't recognize the new you and they start saying, what happened to you? What happened to my friend? Where is my P, my BFF forever? Oh, that me is gone. Dead. Hallelujah. And pretty soon, I'll be buried in Circleville, Water Lake. Hallelujah. October, excuse me, August 21st. Little plug. You see, God's power has the power to change. His transcendent glory is what people will see. He'll take your mess and turn it to a message. Your test and turn it to a testimony. Your trial will turn into a triumph. Your life, listen, may be the only Bible that people ever read. The authentic gospel of Jesus Christ lived out in your life. That's why the Bible charges us to walk worthy of the call that is upon your life. So, pastor, you want us to go. If we are to go, then where are we to go? This is very simple. He says, go all over the whole earth to every tribe, to every nation. Speak to every single place where you have been given an opportunity. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That means you could go to the nursing homes. You could go, if they let you now with, with crazy COVID nonsense, they could let you go to the hospital and share it with people there. How about going to people that live near you, your family, your friends? How about going on the street? It's been so long since we've been unable, but I'm telling you, in the month of April, we're going back out. It's time to start evangelizing. And let me tell you something, this friendship evangelism nonsense, get that thought out of your head. A lot of people say, well, I can't feel comfortable until I become friends. But then what happens is when you become friends, now you don't want to lose the friendship, so you won't talk to them then either. What if they, they stop me? What if they delete me? They unfriend me. Church, we either start to evangelize or we're going to fossilize. No one ever got saved because they saw Deacon Roberts' butt print in a chair. What good is it? If we're dead, if we're fossilized, will people come because of your butt print on the church pew or because you have your name engraved on the seat? Will people come to Christ because you donated a lot of money to the church? Will people come to Christ because of your talents, your gifts, your abilities? No. We're told by Jesus to go. And not only that, but to go and make disciples.
You know why we're supposed to make disciples? Because there's too many recycled Christians in the body of Christ. Can I be real with y'all? You know what a recycled Christian is? One that doesn't want to submit to the church. One that doesn't want to submit to the authority of the leadership or even the pastor. Pastor got in my Kool-Aid. Pastor read my email. I don't like pastor anymore. He offended me. I'm out of here. Can't nobody tell me to go to church. I'll go when I feel like it. And then we take that stank attitude. And we go to some other church, and we sit in another bench, and then the church thinks the church is growing, but the reality is we're just recycling each other from one bench to another bench to another bench because we're offended, and we don't know how to deal with people. We don't know how to forgive. We don't know how to start living right and work the, 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 the conversation enough to the point where you're both restored, and you win the victory, and so we carry all this bitterness and and revenge and all kinds of nonsense and the church it may appear that it's growing but it's not the kingdom of God grows by zero yeah my little grandson in the other room he goes zero papa zero when he doesn't want to do something he'll tell you no and if you don't get it he goes zero papa zero I don't want to do it zero papa Hallelujah. It's high time to evangelize. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Every day that passes by is one day closer to the trumpet blast of God. Every day that passes by is one less opportunity to reach the lost for Christ. Every day that passes by is another lost effort, another lost desire to go ye therefore into all the world. God calls you to be a soul-winning machine. In order for you to be a soul-winning machine, you need to be intentional about sharing the gospel. Just like Jesus, when he went through Samaria and the woman was at the well and he said, Woman, can I have a drink? And she looked at him and said, Wait a minute. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. The Jews don't drink from us. He goes, if you only knew who it was that was asking you for a drink, you would ask me for a drink. And I would give you the, the living water that will never run dry. You would never have to come to this well again. And he turned it into a whole operation, a whole evangelism outreach. And when he started getting prophetic on her, he said, listen, go home and get your husband. Well, um. You know, the guy that I'm with now, he's not, he's not my husband. He goes, you're right. And neither are the four other dudes that you was with. You know, and when he started reading the whole email, she said, wait a minute. And she put her water jugs down and she ran. And she went to the whole village. And let me tell you, she wasn't baptized. She wasn't a member of Soul Purpose Evangelical Church. But the Bible says she went into the town and told everybody, come and see the man who's told me everything about my life. He definitely is from God. The whole town was reached. And they said, now we know, not because you told us, but because we have experienced it for ourselves. They said, master, stay with us, stay with us, stay with us. He stayed for two days. He says, peace out. You take over from here. You understand? Because when you have the impartation of the Spirit of God, when you have Jesus Christ, when you know the Word, now it's your responsibility to go and do likewise.
Each one, reach one. That's our slogan right on our business card. Each one, reach one. One soul at a time. You know what that means? If every person in this room took this evangelism thing seriously and we started praying just for one person, turn to your neighbor and say, one dude, one person, one. I'm not talking about 50 people. I'm talking about one human being. If we all started praying for one person and started reaching out to that one person, you know that the church would double every single year. But the fact is we see the same people every week. And I love you. God bless you. Praise God. But truthfully, we need to get active, church. This is telling me that not many people are talking about Jesus to anybody. This place, we should be busting out of it already. And pretty soon the doors are going to open. I'm telling you. Everybody should be reaching someone for Christ. How many have you reached for Jesus Christ? Think about that. Millions of Christians satisfied with their boarding pass to heaven when souls are dying every day. That's spiritually criminal. Think about this. When soldiers come home from war, there are family and friends that are waiting for them at the airport, waiting to greet them. But think about it. When you go home to be with the Lord, assuming you get to heaven, how many people will be standing at the pearly gates waiting to greet you because you had played a major role in their decision to follow Christ? And because of your input, because of your ministry, they found themselves in glory. And they're waiting for you at the gate saying, thank you, Albert. I'm here forever because of your sharing Jesus with me. I met the Lord through you. Praise God. Let me show you. Check this out. Wait till you see this. And now they're the tour guide in heaven heaven how many people will be waiting for you in glory listen to this this is a letter from an unsaved friend it says my friend I stand in judgment now and I feel that you're to blame somehow on earth I walk with you day by day and never did you show me the way you knew the Savior in truth and glory but never did you tell me his story. My knowledge then was very dim, and you could have led me safe to him. Though we live together here on earth, you never told me about the second birth. And now I stand before eternal hell because of heaven's glory you did not tell. That should shake us to the core. Imagine if that was someone who you love that wrote you that letter. Church, we have to own this. We need to take responsibility. Coronavirus has shut things down for a little while, and there are still people living in fear. You see it all the time, and I'm being respectful, but the reality is i got to keep it real. They're still driving their own car with face mask on. People are afraid. They're terrified. And the mask can't help you. The fear of the Rona, the Delta, the Omicron, which is the same letters in the word moronic, and flu-rona. 
My Florona. You got to make fun of this stuff. It's crazy. It's crazy. And now the Rona is gone. And now all they're talking about on TV is the war, the war, the war. is pounding fear down our throat every day. Fear, fear, fear. War, war, war. Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 24. He said there will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be corruption, inflation, battles over oil. How about this? The global reset. It's all in the word. We cannot live in fear anymore, people. Listen, God gave us words to overcome these fears. 2 Timothy 1.7. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of sound mind. Romans 8.15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. That means if God set you free, why are you going backwards and being afraid every day of everything that they say on TV? He has not given you the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And 1 John, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts away all fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Just as light destroys darkness, Jesus will destroy evil. Let me give you some encouraging scriptures to back that up. Luke 21, 13, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Every time you see fear in the world, panic, it'll be an occasion for you to share the joy of Christ. Luke 21, 18 through 19, not a hair on your head shall be lost, but by your patience possess your souls. Revelations 3, 10, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. So instead of fearing the signs of the times, fearing the, the political stuff, instead, why not fear God? Brother Jamie shared that earlier. Walk in obedience, share the gospel, go, and importantly, testify. Praise God. Evangelism is an opportunity for testimony. From the beginning of time to the rapture and to the end of the age, Jesus has been saying the same thing. Go. Hallelujah. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Tell everyone about me. And then the end shall come. Speaking of the end, the Lord has given us prophecy. He's given us the signs of the times so that you will know when the end is near. Yes, no one knows the day nor the hour when the Lord comes. But he said, you shall know when the end is near. Behold, even at the door. And the signs of the times are our uh, uh, factors, key factors that determine the approaching day of the Lord. God doesn't want to see you in the dark. He wants you to be the light in the darkness because it's your responsibility to shine the light of Christ to everyone in your circle. It may seem straightforward and straight simple, the Great Commission, but it is not that simple for many. It's the Great Commission. It's not the Great Invitation. The church needs to go out and reach those for the lost. Just one more. Desmond Doss known as a, 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 a warrior that did not want to pick up a gun, and he went out in battlefield to just help people, to try to save people. And his motto was, just one more, just one more. He saved a lot of people back there in uh, Hacksaw Ridge, they called it. And some, even enemies, Japanese, he, he saved even a few enemies. Just one more. 
We cannot expect people to come to church because you have a great smile. New believers. How about those that get saved? How many people are we following up with? Are we turning them into disciples or are they just converts? Let me tell you why Jesus said go and make disciples. It's so important because a convert doesn't know much. A convert is just kind of happy to be a convert. But a disciple is a true follower of Christ, matured and seasoned. Listen to this. Disciples reproduce and converts are just introduced. Got it? Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Listen to this. Do not lose heart. 2 Corinthians 4. And I'm coming to a close. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame. Glory to God. Not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God, little g, the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I charge you, saints of God, this morning, go and tell people about Jesus Christ. Go and tell them about the cross. Go and tell them about the shed blood of Jesus. Tell them about the reality of sin. Tell them that if we die in sin, we will be separated from God forever and ever. Tell them about the reality of hell and the second death. Tell them that hell wasn't created for them. Tell them about God's tender mercies and how he wants no one to perish. Tell people about God's love. How he sent his only son to die in their place who was a perfect sacrifice. Tell them about forgiveness of sin. How you were made whole. How your past was erased. How you were justified. Share the good news that Jesus Christ is coming again. And he'll take us out of this ugly place. And we will be with him forever and ever. Share with them that he will keep you from the hour of trial that falls on the earth. Share with them that anyone that calls on the name of Jesus Christ shall be saved. Tell them that he that stands firm to the end shall be saved. Share the good news and never be ashamed. Now is not the time for silence. Now is the time to open your mouth. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Saints of God, God bless you. Go and tell somebody about Jesus Christ. God bless you this morning. We are so grateful to God for allowing us the opportunity to share this message with you. Thank you for listening. We 
want you to know that you are all in our constant prayers. If you've been blessed by today's program, why not consider partnering with us? To make a donation is easy. You can visit us online at www.specchurch.net or you can call us at 845-956-0133. Once again, that's www.specchurch.net or 845-956-0133. We invite you to worship with us one Sunday morning soon. Thank you again for your prayers and support. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you.